Do you love God but struggle to fit in? Do you have questions that never seem to get answered? Do you just want to have honest conversations about things that matter? Well, let's slow down and take the time to do just that. Welcome to Jesus Never Ran. This week, we continue on our discussion about the Bible with pastor, author, and advocate, Brandon Robertson. If we are more ethical than God, then we can be pretty sure that what we're reading is not actually about the true God. There's so many passages where God commands the slaughter of innocent children. Well, almost no human would command the slaughter of innocent children. Well, that should certainly pique your interest for a great interview. Of course, before we get going, we want to mention our sponsors, Infinity Beverages, www.infinitybeverages.com. Definitely one of my favorite places to hang out with friends. And if you're not from the Eau Claire, Wisconsin area, you can order online. Again, that's www.infinitybeverages.com. And as I've been mentioning, with the quarantine on, a lot of us have been sitting around not paying attention to our nutrition needs well let rise nutrition from menominee wisconsin help you out again if you're in the menominee area just go check them out in person otherwise find them on facebook at rise menominee and that is rise with a z ask for angie Well, we're going to continue on in our discussion about the Bible. We got things kicked off really great last week with Deborah Lloyd. If you didn't have a chance to check out that interview, make sure that you do so. But this week we have a young man. His name is Brandon Robertson, and he just exudes wisdom and knowledge. And I'm so excited for you to get to meet this author, activist, and pastor from out in San Diego, California, Brandon Robertson. My name is Brandon Robertson. I currently serve as the lead pastor of Mission Gathering Christian Church here in San Diego. Uh, We're a progressive, inclusive Christian community. And I spent a lot of time over the past eight years or so at this intersection of kind of post-evangelicalism and also engaging in the LGBT community um, and trying to figure out how to help the evangelical church both become more open and affirming with regards to the LGBT community, but also just kind of rethink theology in general. My background is as a initially a fundamentalist Baptist, then a kind of mega church evangelical mainstream guy uh, had some time over in the neo-reformed camp and then um, kind of went through a big deconstruction phase while I was in Bible college at Moody Bible Institute. And after that, I discovered this brave new world of progressive Christianity. And I've been in this space since about 2014, 2015. Yeah, just do a lot of writing. I do a lot of podcasting and blogging and preaching about all these topics, especially related to how we can have a different kind of relationship with the Bible on this side of deconstruction and reconstruction. It's so important as we hear from somebody on topics as important as one like this that we get a little bit at least of their backstory. So here's a little bit about Brandon's faith journey. So I didn't grow up in a religious family. I grew up outside of Baltimore, Maryland, and When I was 12 years old, after going through a lot of verbal and physical abuse from an alcoholic father, I found myself really broken and anxious and depressed and suicidal and all those things. Had really no sense of direction for where my life could go. And so I started 
going to this fundamentalist Baptist church with my neighbors. And after attending for a few months, um, I heard this good news proclaimed about a God who could love me more than my earthly father ever could, and a God who had a plan for my life despite the circumstances I was facing. And so, I kind of had the traditional conversion experience. I went down an aisle as they were singing Just As I Am, and I gave my life to Christ, as I would have put it back then. And I really did encounter a life-changing experience. And really, from that point forward, I jumped headfirst into church and into the Bible and into personal studying of theology. And I watched way too much Christian television every day. And that just became everything in my life. And a few months after getting saved, I felt a distinct call from God to be a pastor, to to do what my pastor had done, which is spend my life proclaiming good news to people. And so I started doing that my little high school way. And the long story short there is as my faith journey continued, I ended up leaving the fundamentalist church and going to a large African-American megachurch and started getting mentored there and started learning a little bit more about a less fundamentalist version of Christianity and a kind of more mainstream evangelical, a little bit more open version of faith. And so my pastor at that church had graduated from Moody Bible Institute and said that if I went to Moody, that uh, the church would help fund it. So I applied and went off to Chicago and It was really in those four years of Bible college that everything shifted for me. One, Moody is in the heart of downtown Chicago. And so, as soon as you step out of the doors of the campus, you're exposed to all different beliefs and cultures and backgrounds and identities, things that I just didn't have close proximity to before. And so, I would go out into Chicago with my friends and the kind of rigid conservative faith that I was learning in the walls of Moody was being challenged by my experiences outside the walls of Moody. Simple things like we believed that the Roman Catholic Church was the great whore of Babylon and a bastion of false teaching, and yet me and my peers would walk down to Holy Name Cathedral in Chicago and sit in Mass and experience the power of the Holy Spirit moving in this beautiful and strange thing that we had never experienced before. And so my theology and my reality began to clash which led me on this journey to rethink my theology. And I did that through starting a blog called Revangelical. And then I started a radio show on our campus, which also became a podcast, where I would start interviewing kind of well-known heretics in the Moody world. So people like Brian McLaren or N.T. Wright, we'd bring them on, have discussions. And they continually just challenged my faith little by little. And during that time, Moody responded to me, the administration responded with fear. And so I was threatened six times over four years with expulsion, uh, all of them for heresy. And seeing that that's how my school was responding to me for simply asking questions and having conversations started pushing me further and further away from evangelicalism. And during that time, I was also wrestling with my sexuality. I had struggled with same-sex attraction for a long time. And during Bible college, did everything I could to suppress it, to be healed from it. I did a version of reparative therapy my senior year in Bible college. And by the time I graduated Moody by the grace of God, I found myself convinced that my sexuality wasn't going to change, convinced that evangelicalism was fundamentally flawed in some way because it was so rooted in fear. And when I looked at the way of Jesus and the message of the New Testament, fear seems antithetical to the gospel that Jesus was proclaiming. 
and basically ended up going back to DC. Had a lot of kind of dramatic experiences that took place that pushed me into this new progressive Christian world that I didn't know existed. And I got some incredible opportunities to work with the Obama White House Office of Faith. And uh, just through those connections, got connected and rubbed shoulders with faith leaders that were big in this progressive world and helped kind of start guiding me to a new way of seeing God in the Bible. So I went off to seminary. And after seminary, I heard of this church that was out here in San Diego called Mission Gathering. And it's this incredible community that's evangelical in ethos and vibe um, and about as liberal as you could possibly imagine. And so they hired me and I've been out here for three years walking this line of trying to help my community, which is primarily people who have been hurt by the evangelical church, um, rediscover a version of faith that is actually helpful and healthy for them. Brandon mentioned there right at the end that his church is filled with people who have been hurt by the evangelical church. And as you can probably assume, to be an effective pastor of people like that, you have to have some hurtful experiences of your own. Right after Moody, I was outed very publicly. It was actually a Time Magazine article that outed me. The response from not only all the people in my life who had kind of mentored me and uh, just been in my faith journey, but very prominent evangelical leaders that I honored and respected, people like Al Mohler, if people are familiar with that name. Upon reading this article, which postured me as an evangelical leader who was coming out as gay, they very publicly just condemned me and said that this person is a false teacher, heretic, irrelevant. Seeing that very public response, both from prominent people and the people that I loved and that had mentored me, brought me to a place where I was like, all of this is just a sham. All of this has been fake. And I spent some time just kind of in that ambiguity of not really being involved in church, not really caring all that much about spiritual practice and all of that. And I can't say it was a bad time. It was a great time. Um, getting to step away and breathe a bit and also try out different versions of spiritual paths that I had never experienced before. I did that for about two or three years. And then it was seminary that really brought me back in a real way to seeing that there is some richness to the Christian tradition that I had missed out on in that season. But candidly, I mean, even as a pastor, I go through seasons probably every year where uh, atheism sounds really good. And I mean, I feel like that's just the journey of what a healthy spiritual life should look like. Sometimes I think it's so important to have whatever you believe in tested in order to really realize if you believe in it or not. And so I really value when people like Brandon have gone through really difficult things and really difficult attacks on themselves and their belief system, because when you come out on the other side, there's some real authenticity to your belief. Now, I know I promised that we're going to be talking about the Bible today. So here you go. Here's Brandon's overall thoughts on how to look at the Bible. Obviously, my view of the Bible has evolved and changed quite a bit over my journey of faith. Um, today, after years of education in theology and scripture, after years of traveling to the Bible lands and like doing all the things that you're supposed to do, I think I have a better relationship with scripture than I've ever had. But when I say that, I know most people hear something that I don't mean. I don't spend a lot of time every day reading scripture anymore. On one hand, because 
not to toot my own horn, but Bible college helped me learn scripture really well. So I, I know it and can quote it like the back of my hand. But I also think that the Bible was never meant to be used as a text that we read every single day in some sort of devotional fashion. The way it was used throughout Jewish history, the way it was used in early Christian history, and in many traditions like Catholic and Anglican and Orthodox traditions, it's more of a communal text. It's a text that's meant to be read in community. It's meant to be interpreted in community. And so the way I primarily engage scripture is preaching, obviously, as a pastor, but I also, for instance, lead a Bible study every Thursday night with people from all over the world that join in via Zoom, and we wrestle with the text together. And it, and through that, I feel like God speaks in really interesting ways. But I also take a very historical and a critical approach to the text. The Bible's not infallible, in my view. Uh, the Bible is not always historically reliable. It has historical kernels of truth. And the Bible's not painting always an accurate image of who God is. Um, I see the Bible as kind of the travel diary of our forerunners in faith, and they're describing how they view God and how they're interpreting the world. They're also creating narratives to give them power. People had agendas in writing these books. It wasn't just this holy, otherworldly act. It was written with intention. And so, in a kind of meta-narrative way, I see the Bible as a call towards God's vision of what the world should be, which is this thing called the kingdom of God, which is a radically inclusive vision. I mean, we see the book of Revelation ending with this image of all nations, tribes, people, and I would add sexualities and genders and races and religions standing equally before the throne of God. And so, you begin scripture with two human beings in a garden. You end scripture with this massive banquet feast of all people gathering together equally around a table with God. And throughout the scripture, you can see that there's this gradual trajectory of humans slowly evolving and slowly learning that our tribal ways of doing things aren't right and our warmongering ways of doing things aren't right. And we see these ethical standards in scripture continually to evolve throughout humanity until you get to the person of Jesus who embodies what humans should look like, which is somebody who's perfectly ethical, perfectly just, who's willing to subvert religious expectations because God doesn't care about our religious rituals and doctrines and theology. Jesus was more about how can I maximize love for my neighbor, for myself, and for God. And I think that's the ultimate direction Scripture's trying to point us to. Um, and I think we often miss that point because as I often say, the Protestant Reformation was the best and worst thing ever to happen to Christianity because the Bible really is a complex book that does take training to handle and understand well. And it's also an incredible tool that obviously people open up every day and hear a fresh word from the Spirit of God from. And so I think we need to live in that tension of understanding that if you've not been trained extensively in the Bible, that you're probably missing some things in the text. And so not to be so confident in taking it on its face value. And that for some strange reason, for over 4,000 years, the Spirit of God has spoken through this text to people and embracing that with openness as well. As I talk to Brandon, there's this sense that the way that he views the Bible is as a document, a writing that is moving. It's got this forward momentum to it. 
And the unfortunate thing about the history of Christianity is that too often we've used the Bible as this tool to be oppressive towards other people. And it's almost as if we use it and it stands still. And in that stillness, we point to pieces about it that will put down other people or that will make people feel like they're excluded. But when Brandon talks about the Bible, he talks about this moving forward, unfolding understanding of faith. And as opposed to looking at it as a book that tells us all of the truth, he looks at it as this unfolding of people's belief systems about God. There are a couple really important things. First of all, even conservatives would acknowledge, most of them would acknowledge, as Christians, the Bible should be read through the lens of Jesus. Everything should be read, taking Jesus's words as priority. And if anything doesn't match up with them, Jesus's words have kind of the final authority. Unfortunately, Protestants, and I guess Catholics as well, have in some ways made Paul the lens through which we view the Bible. And if you read Paul without reading Jesus. I think Paul and Jesus had two fundamentally different understandings of what the gospel was. So, if we're not reading the Bible through Jesus, and we're taking everything as equal and giving everything the same weight and taking it at its face value, the Bible is an incoherent text. If everything is equal, everything has equal value. As much as conservative scholars have tried throughout the centuries to make it all harmonious, it's just not. You have God acting in terrible ways in some passages and God acting in absolutely subversive and delightful ways in other passages. And if we are more ethical than God, then we can be pretty sure that what we're reading is not actually about the true God. There's so many passages where God commands the slaughter of innocent children. Well, almost no human would command the slaughter of innocent children. So, there needs to be this constant wrestling with the text, which by the way, is how the Jewish people wrestled with the text. Midrash is the way that the Jewish community always engaged with the Hebrew Bible, and it was sitting down with a bunch of rabbis literally around a table, yelling at each other about different interpretations of the text, and at the end of the day, saying, all of them are okay, all of them are equal, God is speaking something different to all of us. For evangelicals, that's anathema. It can't be. God is not the author of confusion, right? It's about having a correct view about what the Bible is, and I think that's primarily what distinguishes a progressive view from an oppressive view. If the Bible is a divinely dictated manuscript that's supposed to tell us how to live, and we're supposed to follow every jot and tittle of Scripture, then it's an oppressive book, and I just have to swallow the fact that being homosexual is an abomination, and that's the end of it. There's no wiggle room there. But Again, that's not a historical, that's not a mature, that's not a academically accurate way to handle a text like scripture. When you put it in its cultural context, when you dig around and try to figure out what the author's worldview was, when you try to understand that there is a, in some ways, despite being 66 different books, it does seem like people who put the Bible together had some sort of idea of trying to create a narrative. They had an intention and a direction they were trying to push us towards. When you get a hold of that direction, which I think, again, is towards radical inclusion, then you can't help but see how from Genesis to Revelation, God is continually raising the ethical standards. God is continually calling us to a better version of humanity. Jesus himself I often say he would have failed Bible college hermeneutics class based on the way he used scripture because he felt like he had the authority to say, you have heard it said and quote the Hebrew Bible and then say, but I say to you and give a completely new and different commandment, which frankly, 
subverted and replaced that Hebrew Bible commandment. And he says, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them, meaning Jesus understood that scripture was not fulfilled. It wasn't complete and that the spirit was still speaking and that ongoing revelation was still happening. And if that's how Jesus viewed the Bible, I want to encourage people to also think that perhaps God didn't stop speaking when the final word of Revelation was written, but that God continues to speak beyond Scripture, and Scripture is a guide to point us in the direction where we might hear God, but that God might be saying new things and has been saying new things for thousands of years. Now, because we are limited on time, we often talk in generalities, but since we're spending a good month or so here talking about the Bible, I wanted you to hear a very specific description that Brandon talks about. And what he brings up is that, biblically speaking, when we're talking about the gospel, which everybody says is very important to our faith, when we're talking about the gospel, Brandon looks at the Bible and he says that basically there's two different gospels. There's Jesus's gospel, and then there's Paul's gospel. So let's dig in a little bit and see what we can find. Jesus's gospel and Paul's gospel are completely different. And Paul actually tells us as much. Uh, Jesus's gospel is this message. It's quite simple. It's found in Mark chapter one, where it says in verse 14, Jesus went into the Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying, and then it gives us a quote. So it says, here's the gospel that Jesus proclaimed. And this is what he said. The time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So that's the gospel, according to Jesus, which almost no evangelical would ever articulate that as the gospel, and yet it is literally in black and white in our Bibles. And then Paul, for instance, if you go to the book of Romans, Romans 2.16, he talks about my gospel. Paul constantly uses the language of the gospel, and then he says my gospel, the gospel, my gospel. And once you have that in your mind, I encourage people to go look at Romans, go look at Galatians, you'll see him moving back and forth between that language. Paul's gospel is what most people mean when they say the gospel, which is the story of Jesus. Paul's gospel is the proclamation that Jesus is the Savior, not just of the Jewish people, but of all people, and that God is vindicating the world through Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross and resurrection from the dead. But Jesus' good news is that the kingdom of God is at hand while he's on earth and after he's on earth, and that we're called to participate in it. And so you can see how quickly the theological distinction and division happened in the church, where when Paul's gospel subsumed Jesus' gospel and everybody started just hearing Paul's, Paul is all about believing a story, believing a story and understanding what God has done in history. Jesus' gospel is about participating in a new reality here and now. And if you don't do Jesus' gospel and only have Paul's gospel, then you're going to get, I think, a corrupt religious view because it's easy believism. It's, I'm believing in a narrative, but I don't actually have to do anything. Jesus, I mean, this is Mark chapter one. This is the beginning of the first gospel ever written. Jesus says, here's the good news. And the rest of Mark is him living out that good news by healing the sick and giving sight to the blind and overturning tables where there's injustice. Jesus' gospel is a call to action. Paul's gospel is a call to belief. Both of them are part of Christianity, but I want to say that we should probably focus a little bit more on Jesus and not as much on Paul. Now, when we're talking about the Bible, one of the tricky things here is that if you've grown up 
learning that the Bible is the absolute truth. We call it the word of God, all of those types of things. Any conversation that we're having that's similar to this episode and the previous episode will feel as if it's shaking your foundation. And when your foundation is shaken, that doesn't feel good. And oftentimes we want to rebel against it. But really the whole idea of what Jesus Never Ran stands for is allowing us to shake our foundation a little bit so we can really see what it is. We are absolutely taking the foundation out from underneath them because it's a bad foundation. That sounds like an absolute claim, and it is, because there's not a single person in Scripture whose faith was based on the book. And it's a wrong narrative to assume that Christians are supposed to be people of the book. We've never, that was not what Christianity was about. We were the proclamation of a living Savior. If we have the Spirit of Christ within us, then we should be able, if Christ is truly alive, if the resurrection is a proclamation that we're making, then we should be able to have a living relationship with God. And if what Jesus said was true, I have much more to teach you, more than you can now bear, he said. So I will go and send, with, send to you the Holy Spirit who will lead you into all the truth. Jesus saying that statement at the end of his life was clearly saying to the apostles, all the truth has not yet been revealed. There is more to be revealed, and the Spirit's going to do that. And there's never an indication, not once in the New Testament, even though some conservatives would try to make a case that Paul says the Spirit of God stops speaking um, at the end of his writings. There's no indication that's true. And the canon, what we have as the Bible, was put together by a fallible group of men who literally sat down around a table and debated for a few days under imperial pressure to decide what should be in the book. So, if we're going to be honest about what the Bible is, it's it's kind of a sketchy process that gave us what we have as the Bible. Christians around the world can't agree on what books belong in the Bible even today. And God has continued to speak. We have to believe that because if you don't believe that, then the abolitionists were wrong. The Bible does not liberate slaves. Quite clearly, Paul says, treat them a little bit better, but slavery is okay. Obey your masters. Jesus doesn't abolish racism. In fact, there's a part in the gospel where Jesus calls a Samaritan woman a dog, which is a racist slur. The abolitionists saw that the direction of scripture was pointing towards liberation, that it was pointing towards a higher ethical standard, and they believe that the Spirit of God was calling them in their day to do something that the scripture doesn't do, which is to go beyond the words of scripture and say, it's not enough just to respect our slaves. We have to get rid of slavery because this system is fundamentally subverting what Jesus himself taught, which is that every person has dignity and equality and deserves love. And so they abolish slavery, not based on what the scripture clearly said, but based on what they, the trajectory they saw in scripture and what they heard God speaking to them in their day. And I use the same argument, and it makes all the evangelicals uncomfortable when I advocate it for marriage equality. No, Scripture does not get us to the point where it says gay people are equal. Yes, Paul was probably homophobic. I'm willing to concede that because he was a man of the first century, and he was an Orthodox Jew, and these were all things that would have been common in his culture. But there are hints throughout the New Testament that sexual minorities have equal status for instance, when Jesus says eunuchs will be the first ones to enter the kingdom of God, that's a radically subversive statement. And you can do a whole study on what a eunuch is, but no matter how you cut it, whether it's a gay man or a transgender person, Jesus is saying sexual minorities are going to enter the kingdom before everyone else. And so we've got to take those kernels of progress 
listen to what the Spirit is saying, see what the Spirit is doing. The last thing I'll say is this. In Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision, and he's called by God to go preach to the Gentiles. And Peter understood, and all the early Christians understood, that the Gentiles were outside of God's salvific plan. They were not supposed to be part of this new gospel. But Peter goes, after hearing God say, do not call unclean that which I have made clean. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius's house, a prominent Gentile. The Spirit of God falls, and Peter stands stunned and baptizes them. And as soon as the word that Peter has baptized Gentile gets out, the Apostolic Council in Jerusalem, it says in Acts chapter 11, calls Peter, and they're furious. They say, what in the world are you doing? How could you baptize the Gentiles? That's against what Scripture and tradition teach us. And Peter simply says, I had a vision. I heard the Spirit of God speak, and they wanted to be baptized. Who was I to stand in the way of God? And it says a remarkable line in Acts chapter 11. It says, so then they calmed down and rejoiced, saying, so God has now enabled Gentiles to believe unto eternal life. And in that moment, Christian theology changed forever, in an instant, not based on Scripture, in contradiction to Scripture, based on the experience of Peter seeing a group of people who were not supposed to be Christians say, we want to be Christians. And I would contend, if you go to the Gay Christian Network conference and see a thousand LGBT Christians singing praise to God, tell me, how is God not at work there? How can you proclaim that God is not here? To do so would be what Jesus called blaspheming the Holy Spirit, which is to say that which is of God is of Satan, which he says is the unforgivable sin. Some of the greatest things that have happened in my life happen in the midst of changing my thoughts or changing my mind on something. And when it comes to things like the Bible, it feels a little wrong maybe, or it feels a little challenging to go to those places or to allow ourselves to go to those places. But what I've discovered in my life is that when I've allowed myself to go there, there's been freedom on the other side. So if this conversation makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, that's all right. But if this conversation makes you feel a little bit free, that's exciting. Special thanks to Brandon Robertson. Oh, I just had such a great time talking to him. So excited to keep in contact with him and even get out there to San Diego to check out what he's doing one of these days. Make sure that you keep track of him as well and you can go to his website at brandonrobertson.com. You can see all his books there. You can see what he's up to. I'll put that contact information as well in the show notes. And of course, if you want to support this podcast, the best way that you can do it is by subscribing to it, give it a five-star rating, and if you have a little extra time, write a review. It'll help this show get in front of as many people as possible. Until next time, keep walking.